Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson, and this is The Road Taken, and this is my wing woman. Announce yourself. I'm Louise Palanker, Vicki's wing woman. I, I, I hate that. I'm still looking for the, the right... But I just printed the business cards. <laughs> you keep changing it. I, I, I can't. I, I, I hate wing woman. I hate sidekick. I hate... It's just, it's all wrong, Louise. It's all wrong. But but Louise isn't wrong. Louise is right. Co-pilot? My co-pilot. I love, oh, don't even talk about pilots. Vice we're not, president? We're not going to pilots. Vice president. Okay. Um, we're not running, though. So, we, the so, so before, we, before we get going, I want to I thank um, our sponsors. And, and it, you know, sometimes it's a, it's work to do that, but in this case, it's a privilege. It's and, joy. Uh, and it's Pure joy. joy and it's friendship because Rick Smokey of Quick Impressions of Chicago is the most creative, fantastic printer. He does all these cool things for me. Look and all the fun uh, stuff you get. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't uh, print my book, but he did do the, the galley. And uh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give one of those to Doug. And oh, yeah, so Doug. He, yeah, I'm gonna give that to Doug. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so he did all my stuff, and he's fantastic. And and actually, somebody heard him on the road taken, heard about him on yeah. the road taken, and called him, and he and she wrote to me and thanked me because she said he gave her such a great deal. So he'll do that for you too. And then also, I want to give a shout out to Nicole Venables, who is my tresser, my hair tresser. Okay. And um, she tresses the hair of, of many movie stars and television stars, and she's really cool, and she has a salon called the Ruby Begonia Salon. She's fabulous, she's in Studio City. If you're in LA, if you're not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but you know, there, there are good hairdressers everywhere. It's one thing you can't do on the internet is get a haircut. You cannot, you cannot, you can't. I've tried. You can get printed goods ordered and sent to you, yes. but you cannot, you must be in LA to get your hair yeah. cut by Nicole, or visit, come for a visit and, and have your hair done. So anyway, so let's talk about the week. So um, Samantha, and I, my daughter Samantha is in from behind the camera, thank you Samantha, she's, she's grudgingly shooting us right now. She's under the, the weather. Just she's just a little a under the weather, she'd rather not be doing this, but I only have her for nine more days. It's, this is torture for me, then she's gone till May. And you know, I never know when it's the last trip. She's like she's going to be home and like stay home for like a chunk of time because it's getting to that time, that age in her life. But anyway, I got her now. So we've been going to screenings out, affairs and events. We have been, we've been going, yeah. Well, we've been going to screenings out the ass. Yeah. So, so last night we saw um, I Tanya. Ooh. And I have to tell you, I was not expecting to fall madly. I had no idea that they were going to break the fourth, fourth wall. I had no idea that it was going to be so funny. I had no idea that I was going to have empathy for these people. Um, Allison Janney is... I didn't know the night before when I saw the Golden Globes why the hell that bird was on her shoulder, but I know now. Okay. And um, she is brilliantly hysterical, but uh, you know, um, Margot Robbie, holy, ma I love these women who are empowering themselves to make their own movies. Would you like to hear a backstage Hollywood story? I would. My friend, Sarah Kawahara, who's married to my comedian friend, Jamie Alcroft, she choreographed the entire Tanya Harding skating routine. Wow, it was unbelievable. And how they, they sunk Margot skating and, and and whoever was doing yeah. the it was amazing but the movie is hysterical yeah. and so um I, I really have a lot of empathy now I have a whole different feeling about yeah. Tanya Harding I want to the story I used to think that it was that Tanya rigged the whole thing I used to think it was all her fault I don't think so that so much anymore she got caught but up in something now I so anyway, so we went to that and then so all of these screenings we've been going to all the people have been there mm. so we got to see them all last night which was fantastic including 
the writer and the director, who both brilliant, um, both amazing work on both their parts. So the night before that, we saw, what did we see the night before? Stranger Things. We, saw, we went to a Stranger Things screening. Now we went because we'd gone before, but they were all gonna be there except for a couple of them, and, and Paul Reiser was there. And I have to say, oh. on that whole panel of like 15, 16 Paul people, Reiser. Paul got the jokes. He got the laughs. Oh, he was wow. so funny. Um, but that was really cool, and they were all there. And then the night before that, we saw what did we, two nights before that. We saw Lady we Bird. Saw, no, Darkest Hour. Oh, we, okay. Oh, Ooh, this is this is what oh, this is what my point is for tonight. Yeah. So we saw Darkest Hour with and Gary Oldman did the talk back afterwards. A few nights before that, we had seen the Disaster Artist and James Franco was there, mm -hmm. and we also saw Lady Bird and and Greta. I'm going to say her name on Gerwig. 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 Yes. Was there and and Timothy Chalamet, who Samantha got so, so cute. Oh, yeah. did you see the pictures? I did. Oh yeah, I think so. I, she has my permission to marry him. They were having a mind meld. They were. He <laughs> jumped off the stage to talk to her, and he was like in her face. It was the biggest <laughs> thing ever because he went to NYU and he was uh, what is it called Gall Gallatin Gallatin, and where you have like independent study, and he's told her he's going to have to get back and do that, but. For now, um, he seems to be doing pretty well. Seems, yeah. But so anyway, so back-to-back -back nights, we saw James Franco uh, present The Disaster Artist, and then we saw Gary Orr come out afterwards, and then we saw Gary Oldman after The Darkest Hour. Now, I have to say, in, in all fairness, The Darkest Hour is kind of dark. Kind of dark. So, okay, so maybe Gary gets a few points off of that, but you know, James Franco came out, and he had so much passion, and so much Wadaviv, and so much enthusiasm for his project, and then Gary Oldman came out, and if that man smiled once in a half hour, and then I said to Samantha, okay, so maybe he's just tired. He's been doing a lot of this stuff. I have seen pictures of him doing the press junkets prior, and he seemed like a lovely guy. Tracy Newman met him, got a nice picture with him smiling from a couple months ago. Maybe he's just tired. Mm -hmm. I said, but you know, tomorrow he's going to be on the Golden Globes, and he'll probably win, and if he wins a Golden Globe, maybe then that'll give him his joy back. He'll smile. So no, what he didn't smile at the Golden Globes. Did he win? He did win. Okay. And and the thing is, and so did James Franco, and so now they're going to battle it out for an Oscar. And, you know, I, I was sure that Gary Oldman, I'm still pretty sure that <laughs> Gary Oldman's going to be the one that's going to win the Oscar, but I have to say I'm being influenced by James Franco's passion and his joy. Are you the work that he's doing? I am a sad voter. So this is influencing I, your vote. It, I have to say. Gary Oldman, you got a campaign, buddy. It's, it's influencing my vote. And okay. I, I, the work should speak for itself, but I mean, you can't really, I can't really fault James Franco's work. It's pretty brilliant genius. Um, but Gary Oldman has left sort of a dark taste in my mouth mm -hmm. with uh, just this dour. And there have been a few people at these screenings that don't seem to be enjoying what they're doing. And if you're not enjoying what you're doing, don't do it. Oh, darn. I, well, okay, so, so this brings me, this brings me to our guest tonight because oh. I read this quote by him today which really um, uh, made me very happy. Wait, he, he likened himself to, our guest tonight is Doug Herzog. So, for those of you in the business, you all know who that is. For those of you who aren't in the business and want to be in the business, you better know who that is. You should know who that is. Okay, so Doug was the president of Viacom, so mm -hmm. we're talking MTV, VH1, Comedy Central, Epics, Logo, right? Okay. CBS. <laughs> no. Oh. So, and what Doug did was he created The Daily Show, and if this is urban legend, I don't know if it's true, but he said something like, we should have a Daily Show. 
and then it became The Daily Show. And he's the one, I know, Craig Kilborn, um, actually, my husband, Samantha's husband, Samantha's father, my ex-husband, uh, um, uh, John Stewart was on this thing called Short Attention Span Theater. Do you remember that? Yes. And John, he was fantastic. And as soon as we saw him on there, we knew he was going to be a star. And mm -hmm. Gabe, uh, I think John might have taken a couple of Gabe's stand-up classes, actually, uh, before the day. And Gabe got to substitute for John on Short Attention Span Theater. But anyway, it was Doug who, and Gabe wrote for Craig Kilborn. So it's all very incestuous. But Craig Kilborn started on The Daily Show, and I loved him on The Daily Show. Yes. But when he went to his own show, not so much. But, but then when John took over, um, which Doug did, I mean... Do we have to talk genius moves? I mean, oh, come yeah. on. So and then I the, mean, very influential in terms of not just entertainment, but the news, everything, the yes, news, the world, how people get their information, and and influencing voters and and uh, all kinds, yes, and how people get their information, absolutely. And uh, Doug was also at the helm of the Colbert Report or Colbert Report. Report. It's very it's, French, this it, title. It, inside Amy Schumer, real, uh, The Real World on MTV, Beavis, Beavis and Butthead. I can't even talk about all the credits. There's so many credits, it's ridiculous. He's in the Broadcasting um, broadcasting and Cable Hall of Fame. Um, just done all this stuff. But this quote that I love, um, he likened himself to a camp counselor. And he said, um, I tried to be... Um, uh, uh, many of you know that I am a camp counselor at heart. I try to be a little of that to the work, bring a little of that to the workplace every day. Lead the group, play to win, and have fun doing it. I mean, that's everything. Yeah. Because if we're not having fun, <coughs> it shows. Yeah, Gary Oldman. <laughs> so, so, um, so Harry, my son, was saying something like, or were you telling me that everybody is tweeting something like, uh, uh, um, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Oh, that's me. Okay, so it said like T Timothy Chalamet, brilliant actor, uh, brilliant person. Gary, old man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because they're up for the same awards. Okay. So yeah, that that was kind of crude. But well, it's Churchill, sort of, I guess. Yeah, Churchill. But and and Churchill and the movie is serious. And Churchill was serious, although Churchill was actually very funny. I'm sure he could cut up at a party. And and he was actually very funny going through the the war room in World War II. But but I what I will say about Gary Oldman for a second is the performance is absolutely genius. Yeah. He doesn't look like Churchill. What he did, he he wouldn't. Uh, gain weight for the part because he said it'll take him the rest of his life to lose it so mm -hmm. it was all done through makeup and I don't remember the name of the makeup artist but it's some genius who had retired and he lives near Gary Oldman and Gary stalked the guy till he said yes but the punches and stuff you know I, I, I can see latex a mile away I couldn't see a thing it's brilliant it's just geniusly done and Gary embodies Churchill uh, it's extraordinary. He's extraordinary, and he he deserves an Oscar. Uh, um, I'll, I'll get over myself, but let's get back to Doug. So Doug, so Doug loves what he does, and there's some, there's another quote I wanna I wanna uh, I wanna shout out here um, because this is the road taken. And for those of you who don't know, the purpose of this show, Celebrity Maps to Success, is for us to kind of figure out what our guests have done 
to have the success they've had mm -hmm. so that we can get some tools from them and apply them to our own lives. So Doug kind of says it right out front. We've okay. got we've got the takeaway before so we, we don't even really start. Even need we him. don't need him. So the takeaway here, you gotta work hard, you gotta be smart, you gotta be talented, and you gotta be a little lucky. And I'm just gonna add to that, and you gotta have some fun. You gotta have some fun. So we're about to have some fun. We're gonna um, Doug's got got to have stories. He's got to have yeah. stories. We want stories. People yeah. have asked me if I'm going to dig. Oh, I'm going to dig. Yeah. So um, right now we're going to bring out our guest. Um, please help me welcome Doug Herzog. Yay! <laughs> In our gorilla. Hi, Doug. Well, thank you. So it took poor Doug. You know, we did the uh, the opening and we we had a little fun with you. We were talking about all the things that you've done and that also that you were late. Yeah. And. Um, <laughs> Hours to get here in his defense, so it's not you're, you're forgiven that. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it might be that everything that's going on in the 101, it's a little crazy tonight. And, and but the 101 is because it's coming down from Santa Barbara, yeah. and, and it's, all, it's all all backed up. I think Louise has a house in Santa Barbara, oh. and her husband's stuck up there. The 101's close for everybody, everybody okay out there? My people are okay, but right. um, a lot of people, people aren't, right? There's still 17 people missing. Right. Oh, so, yeah. Really? Yeah, it's wow. absolutely chilling. That's what happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, 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 yes, it was a nightmare getting here. I'm sorry. But it's all right, we're here. I'm we're doing gonna, it. I'm, but I'm glad we're here. Yeah, we're here. Sure. Okay, so, so we haven't had on the road taken to date right. somebody, what I would call a suit, but you're a creative suit. Right? You love but music. A, a suit executive, yeah, yeah. Well, you are. I mean, and we haven't had the guy who's the one green light. By the way, you might be the one that killed my dreams. Um, because um, I was in a live pilot at the Comedy Central space right. called Hollywood Anonymous with, um, with Robert Schimmel and, um, and um, uh, uh, Andy Kindler and Eddie Pepitone and... Um, well, I, that doesn't ring a bell, so I'm going to say that was either just Good. before I got there, okay. or you know, I was at Comedy Central twice, so it might have been in the window where I, in ah, between. All right, I'm saying it was that. I nice say, Doug. It killed. I, I, I love Shimley's great. He was so yeah. brilliant. Yeah, this was funny, very, yeah. very funny. It was like a 12-step program for people in Hollywood. It was very, very funny. Yeah, yeah. And um, that and that's a great space. Um, yeah, cool space. Yes, 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 I, yes. I just got invited to do the sit and spin there, so that's exciting. Oh, all right. To that. So okay, so so you're you're you a suit, right? But you're a creative suit because you love music. You and you have an eye for talent. So where did it start for you? So where'd you grow up? Grew up in Patterson, New Jersey, which is northern New Jersey. 15 miles outside of New York City, barely, um, maybe 10. Yeah. And, um, you know, like Sopranos country, as I tell people who are not from that part of the world. <laughs> I knew those people. Um, yeah. And uh, school in Boston, Emerson College, uh, which, tiny little school with a big reputation. Yes, Although it, it, was, it was, it was very, it was even smaller than, and less of a reputation. What would you study? What was your major? You know, I wanted to study, uh, at the time they called it communications. But, okay. you know, in those days, in the 70s, you know, it was not a thing. No, Film not. school is not a thing. Mm -hmm. Studying media or television was not a thing. I remember talking to my grandmother. She said, what are you going to study? I said, I'm going to study television. And she thought that meant I was going to be able to fix her TV. So <laughs> it was just, it, you know, it just wasn't a thing like it is today. And kids go and, well, you know. And well, where did that dream start? So, so you're a little watched kid. Watched a lot of TV. Okay, when you're a little kid, what's the first dream? What do you want to be when you grow up when you're little? I think I want to be a Oh, that's what my son wants to be. Yeah. He wants to be that. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's what I want. I love sports and I love TV and I think I want to be a sportscaster. Okay, so how did the dream morph into... I got, I start, you know, I watched, I, you know, my parents, you know, talked about 
you know, way into my career, like, you know, we were really worried you watched a lot of TV. We were, <laughs> we were worried. And, you know, it's a good thing there were only three channels and there wasn't much on, because I probably, you know, if there was cable television or the, even the internet, when I was growing up, I probably would have left the house, but um, I just I, I loved right it. There. Okay, so favorite shows as a kid? Uh, I watched everything that was on, but I loved the, you know, I loved the Norman Lear shows, I loved MASH, um, I loved, uh, I loved the Honeymooners, I mean, I loved, you know, they would, you would watch whatever was on, and the, you know, the big thing, the, the, the big moment for me was Saturday Night Live, so mm -hmm. that was like a revelation, when that came on, I was like, oh my god, they're making kind of dangerous jokes, stuff my parents wouldn't like, there's really cool music on here. These seem like the coolest people in the world. They're in New York City. I mean, I was, you know, I was in high school. I was like, that's like, I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so now, so when you have this dream about being in communications, being in TV, what did that look like at the beginning? Again, you know, in the in those days, it was we were so unsophisticated. Mm -hmm. Kids to now, you know, your daughter, whoever, mm -hmm. I mean, my kids' friends, you know, there's they know so much about the business. They see so much about the business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, there's stuff everywhere about the business. It's mainstream. You know, in those days, I didn't know anybody who was in show business. And my family didn't know anybody who was in. Really? Like, yeah, we're from Patterson, New Jersey. Like, who knew? <laughs> and there were three networks and a couple <laughs> of Hollywood studios, and that was it. Right. And so it was a very foreign thing. So, you know, there, you know, I, I didn't know what a, who knew, or I didn't know the difference between a director or a producer or an agent or a manager, and I just know I liked that looked like fun. I wanted to be part of it. Um, and did you know you wanted to be on the business side of it, or did no, you, not yeah. necessarily. I think you know, I, I, I think you know, I, 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 if you read my high school yearbook, um, uh, it says film. What do you want to be? It says film director. So I think at the time I thought I probably wanted to be like Woody Allen or Robert Altman. You know, nice. Like, Spent a lot of time in the movie theaters, like all of a sudden these guys became important and I, you know, began to understand who directors were and what they meant and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but... Did you study that at all? No, not really. No. I didn't really do a lot of film. I, I studied like, a couple of film courses and very quickly mm. I was like, this takes too long. <laughs> okay, so TV's more TV about... was more, yeah, and that's, oh, and you know, that was my right instinct and that's, a, that's me in general and I'm like, I don't have time to... I, first of all, I can't load the film. I'm always screwing it up. It takes too long, and you know, it, I, it was it, you know, I I quickly just was like TV. Okay, so what was the actual major call when you were? It was communications. It was communications. So yeah, so I studied okay. like TV. You know, I took film courses, TV yeah. courses. You know, I did a lot of radio. I was into music, and mm -hmm. you know, so there was a little bit. It was a little bit of everything. Advertising, marketing. So it was a little bit of everything. It's very sort of a broad thing. Not, not not nearly as specific as it is these days, and probably not nearly as good. So from what I've read, if it's true, you landed at MTV at like 25. So you get out of college, what, what happens? What's Super the lucky happens? in the sense that I graduated college in, uh, actually graduated like a semester early. So I graduated in January of 1981. I, 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 I finished in December of 80. I went to work in January of 81, which was, for all intents and purposes, the dawn of cable television. Oh. So, you know, CNN has, I was at, I was interning at CNN the summer before, which is when they launched. Wow. Um, uh, MTV had yet to go on the air, would go on the air six months later. So ESPN had gone on the air. So it was literally like the dawn of cable television. So it was a great time to leave college. All these new networks and cable networks were starting and they needed young, cheap, Right. Okay, so what? So so you interned at CNN. What was the first gig where you were? I, so I got a job at CNN. A bunch, a couple, of, a guy I went to college with who was all of twenty four was producing a show for them. You know, mm -hmm. CNN. You know, it's hard to remember. You know, um, uh, unless you're as old as we are. 
Um, you know, when CNN started... That, that just made me so sad. <laughs> you know, when CNN started, you know, nobody knew what it was. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a big joke. You know, it was like, what do you want 24-hour news? Like, why would I want that? Mm -hmm. um, nobody knew who Ted Turner was. Hardly anybody had cable television. Uh, right. You know, and it was, it was, it was like, you know, I mean, it was a startup, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, they hired all these sort of veteran news people who had all, uh, had all been thrown on the junk pile because they were alcoholics or drug addicts or sex offenders. Is and that could, true? I mean, it was like, the, it was, no, but it was like the, <laughs> no, it was like the rejects from like newspapers, uh, magazines, uh, news radio, local stations. Oh. It was a, I'm, it was certainly the LA Bureau was. It was oh, a bunch no. of misfits. And, uh, <laughs> you, and, and, a, and a bunch of kids. Yes, actually, so I interned. Uh, so when I, when I say I was there the day they launched, I was in the LA Bureau. Um, and I was, uh, yeah, and I was out here. So Because you knew, you knew TV uh, you, well, and you had to come to LA. Well, no, this guy who I'd done a college with had gotten a job producing oh. a nightly one-hour talk show live every night at 10 o'clock it's uh in that um uh office tower that's at the corner of sunset and vine you know yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i used to simply blues used to be the top yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 and we used to you know basically you know the version of what we're doing here which is like <laughs> two eng cameras like news cameras that would mm -hmm. come in off the field every day that didn't match and <laughs> shoot out the window and we would do this live show every night trying to convince people to come to hollywood to be on a cable show which they didn't understand but you know in, wow. but here's what i remember Tom Hanks, Star Blues and Buddies would come up all the time. Uh, wow. Gary Shanley would come up all the time. Wow. Pee Wee Herman would come up all the time. I mean, you know, they were all not famous. <laughs> right, right. What was the yeah. name of the show? Uh, it had a lot, a couple different things. So I first worked, the, the first host was a guy who was a New York television host. If you lived in the Metro area, you would know a guy, named, a guy named Lee Leonard. Yeah, uh, I remember Lee Leonard. He hosted Midday Live in New York and uh -huh. also uh, Sports Extra. Mm -hmm. And he was big here online. Then Ted Turner got rid of him, and then he hired Mike Douglas, who, was, who had who was you know had lost his job at Westinghouse with the big talk show for years. Right. John Davidson took over. That's where Nobody I remember was. Yeah, I so, was with John Davidson. Well, there you go. So so Mike was, and so then, but it didn't really play to Mike's strengths because it was all interviews and there was no singing and dancing, and mm. so he wasn't very good at it. And then uh, the third guy was a guy named Bill Tush, who was like a guy who worked for Ted for a long time. Name sounds familiar. Okay. And and I did that for a couple of years. It was, okay. like, it, was, it was like graduate school. So while you're there, what are you doing? Everything. That was the beautiful part. It was there was like four or five of us. Okay. Nobody, nobody was over twenty five. So I mean, I as I, I you know as I always say, you know, I, I used to book the guests, do the pre interviews, produce the segments. I'd go out in the field. Uh, we'd go to parties every night. This was pre entertainment tonight. We'd shoot parties and talking heads, and we you know we sort of felt we invented entertainment tonight, and we always felt they stole the wow. idea from us. And and then I would also get lunch, make coffee, I mean, whatever needed to be done. I was twenty two. Wow. And uh, do whatever it takes. Take away. But I was it was, it was also a great. I mean, I was actually getting to do real things. Yeah. It sounds at, like a, at a very you know raw young age. But at the same time, I was also doing other. And like I said, I'm sort of you know great opportunity, really lucky. It was like sort of right place, right time. Okay, so you're at CNN, you're doing this for a while. How, I'm assuming MTV's next? What, what happened? No, I actually, I, I worked for a year at Entertainment Tonight. Oh. So Entertainment Tonight in the interim had started up. So mm -hmm. I was there probably, I don't know, it was probably their second or third year. I was there in like 83, 84. And what are you doing there? I was producing music segments. So oh. I would like book all their music stories. And I made it my, so this is 83, 84. So... There was, uh, in 83, was announced there was going to be a Bruce Springsteen album in 84. Mm -hmm. 
and I was a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. He was just on the verge. Mm -hmm. This is this is the album was going to be born in the USA, and I could kind of feel like he was going to be like the next big thing. Yeah. So I made it, and he had never done a national television interview. So I sort of made this it. I was like, crazy. I'm going to go get the Bruce Springsteen interview, and I sort of. You know, like it was like a year-long campaign. And okay, so so map that out for us a little bit because th I, I'm curious. I just went to work. You know, I, I at CNN, I had made all these contacts in the music industry because I used to book the music stories there too for the show I was working on. So um, a guy I befriended uh, who worked at the, you know, sort of the label, well, sort of the sister label, the label Bruce was at, mm -hmm. uh, but had used to work with Bruce directly at Columbia. He was then at Epic. Um, you know, he started to like, kind of like, here's what I think you need to talk to, and here's how you got to work it, and here's how they're gonna. And he sort of, you know, helped coach did me through it. Did he have people? Did he have a people machine already, Bruce? Well, he had John Landau was already there, his right. manager, and Barbara mm -hmm. Carr was there. They were still, they were there. It was uh -huh. 1984, so mm -hmm. that's why I had a crack. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ultimately did, and so I got an interview with Bruce. Uh, it it uh, was in August of '84. It was, he was opening a huge stand at the uh, Melanie's Arena in New Jersey, mm -hmm. and you know this was born. So the album had come out um, probably in June. It was already like a huge hit, "Dancing in the Dark," and he had made his first video, and right. kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so we got this interview, and basically I scooped MTV. So I got like a I got mine a week ahead of MTV, so it was the first one, and I think. You know that plus a couple of things. I think that's how I came. Do you to mean attention. Bruce Springsteen did his first interview on Entertainment Tonight? No, no, his first national TV interview. And all he do his first national TV interview. He was interviewed by Barbara Howard. I don't know if remembers Barbara. Howard. You know, this is just all too upsetting to me. <laughs> this, this is just wrong. And and to this day, um, uh, uh, I still get a little crap from um, what's her name? Who's the one who? Uh, Spacey. I'm getting so old. Uh, um, you know, he used to host the show. Uh, we used to get our legs um, oh, um, uh, insured. Mary, uh, Mary, Mary Hart. Yeah, Mary Hart. still see Mary Hart every once in a while. Every once in a while, the Dodger games, and you know, because he he would not talk to Mary Hart. Oh, and I really? break, I break the news to Mary Hart. So wow. <laughs> she was a little too straight for him. She was just a little. Yeah, I mean, look, Entertainment Tonight was not cool at all. No. You, know, you know, you know, Barbara Howard was a. I think she was a White House. I mean, she was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So she had like some, she, she had a little gravitas, yeah, 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 a little yeah. cred. She, she had no music cred, um, right. and by that time, she was very much, a, you know, a middle-aged lady, and probably not that much cooler than Mary Hart, quite frankly. But but she was. Did she do a good job? She did do a good job. I'll t I also remember. Uh, so it was supposed to leave the show the following Monday morning, mm -hmm. and Richard Burton died, and oh. it got it got pushed all the way to the back. But oh. you know, that's what uh, that's you know that show is. That's anyway, and then I and then you know I, MTV uh, literally came calling like within weeks or days. Is that true? Oh yeah, by, by, by September I was working for MTV, and it was because of that Bruce interview. It, it was a combination of things, but you know I, I think I was sort of on their radar a little bit for a couple of different reasons, and then that sort of squarely. It was a little bit like wait, because MTV in 1984 when I got there was you know really at its music video peak. Yeah. And you, know, you gotta remember 1984 was the days of the. Music video giants. It was giants walking here. Bruce Springsteen, Michael J. It was the Born in the USA tour. It was the Jacksons Victory tour. It was Prince's Purple Rain tour. That's so you know crazy. there was Madonna. I mean, it was like it was like Land of the Giants. So MTV was what raging they, at that what, time. What year did MTV start in '81? And that's oh, Mike Nesmith, but that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. But um, and I just want you to know that I went through four callbacks as a VJ on MTV for the second mm -hmm. round. 
There you in, go. In, in the little later 80s. But yeah. Mm. But I was already too old. I was like 32. I was already too old. Oh, yeah. 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 I was, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 832. Come on. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> yeah, but they had me go through a whole bunch. That's it was, pretty it good. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so. So. You, you get to MTV. What's your position when you get to MTV? I was, I was uh, brought into MTV to basically start the news department. So I was made news director, and they were they wanted and to start 20... a formal... I was it's 84, so I'm like 25. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so, so up until then, I was, quote, a producer. So at MTV in those days, believe it or not, in the go-go days of MTV, mm-hmm. in the early 80s, if you were in any managerial position, directors and up, and I was a director level, all wore suits. Wow. Everybody wore a suit. And so, and which I really was shocked to find. So like, you were I, literally I, a suit. I, I literally said I'd go out and buy suits. I never owned a suit after my bar mitzvah. I never owned a suit in my life. <laughs> um, and the, you know, the, the, the thinking, you know, Bob Pittman, who was mm-hmm. you know, one of the founder and you know, was running, obviously, <clears throat> um, his sort of theory was, you know, they didn't want Madison Avenue, you know, who were desperate for their attention and their money to think we're all a bunch of hippies uh, uh, running, a, running a, like a rock radio station. They want to look like a business. Mm-hmm. So um, I wore a suit for many years. Then I have to say, you know, MTV is no longer suits and hasn't been for a long time. <laughs> um, and it, it, over time, I kind of, I think I led the, you know, the, like, I'm going to take off the suit and put on a pair of jeans and a sport jacket and see how that goes. And, 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 and that, that happened over time, but it, for a long time it was suits. Uh-huh. So okay, so so you your news director, right? You eventually end up t- conquering the world over there. So so you start out as news director, and, and first of all, by the way, along the way as you tell us stories, you have to give us a little juice. People are saying to me, <laughs> "Get some juice out of Doug. Get some good stories." So we need some good stories. But so so your news director, how does that morph into you? Well, the the, the key thing that happened was. So we, we really started to actually produce new stories in the news department and hire people like Kurt Loder and mm-hmm. kind of like, it, Kurt, it, it became right. a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, before that it was basically just the VJs reading items out of Billboard magazine. And right. So we really, you know, we, you know, we hired... MTV News was fabulous. Yeah, it was great. We, 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 we had a good time. But so, so there was this point, you know, I don't know, I probably was there a year or two and they called us into a conference room and they were like, hey, guess what? There was a little bit of like in the world, like ah, the the video music, you know, the the, uh, the music video thing is like a fad; it's fading out. And the truth was, that was later. No, it's a little bit later. I mean, we're a couple years in now. But you know, what was happening was we were starting to get rated because we, you know, we were slowly we were slowly growing distribution. Mm-hmm. And so as we got into a certain amount of homes, all of a sudden Nielsen was like, "Now you're rated." Mm-hmm. So when the ratings came in, they could see that. You know, every couple of minutes, the ratings would go like this, depending on what video we were playing. Wow. So, so you know, this is not brain surgery. Mm-hmm. You know, Bob Pittman said, you know, look, we, you know, if people don't like, you know, the Cindy Lauper video that comes after the Billy Idol video, they turn the channel. People actually did those, and they actually had to get up, and turn the channel. That's but, right, uh, we did. But uh, <laughs> but if we do half-hour shows, uh-huh. we can keep them around longer. And so it's not, you know, it's not unlike anybody else or, you know, what's going on in digital media or the whole world. It's like, we needed more engagement, right? Right. We needed to be engaged for half hour. So we basically, uh, in a conference room one day, Bob Pittman said to me, he goes, you're going to produce three shows. You're going to do a news show, you're going to do a game show, and you're going to do a dance show. So we did this uh, great, uh, I thought great, I think the audience at the time, game show called um, Remote Control. Fantastic. We did The Week in Rock with Kurt Loder, mm-hmm. the new show. And we did Club MTV. 
And that's how we started into the original. So I became like the original programming guy. And then I became the guy who was in charge of making the shows for MTV, which by the way, was a very controversial thing. To this day, I will still talk to people and go, hey, how come MTV doesn't play any music, man? <laughs> like, MTV hasn't played music in 35 years. Where have you been? <laughs> it's true. Are you I, under a rock? It, it's true. The, the, the death but of people MTV have is, never forgotten like no. the first three years of MTV, which is when they really played music. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so you start programming. So what's the first... I mean, remote control was a huge success. They were all great successes, and you know, and that, you know, like I said, it was sort of controversial inside because people were like we're a music station and we shouldn't be doing shows, and this gets away from the brand, and um, it just began to grow and evolve and expand, and you know, uh, we do all kinds of different, you know, everything from spring break to the award shows to, um, you know, I think, you know, one of the bigger things was the real world. So we sort of stumbled, I, I we sort, we sort of stumbled upon on, real women on here saying that they watched it with their kids, but it was really them. Yeah, they course, were yeah, into yeah, it much more than yeah, the kids were. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so we sort of, you know, we sort of stumbled on that, and uh, that was a big hit. Still around. Yes, it is. And you know, a lot of people blame that for the reality. You know, and it, although, yes. although, well, again, this will show you know your your age or your or your viewers' age or your listeners' age, but you know, people at the time. When we did the real world, we said, "Oh, that's just a ripoff of an American Family." Mm -hmm. the American Family mm -hmm. on PBS about the Loud Family, right? Mm -hmm. Lance Loud. So, um, and by the way, we certainly was influenced by that. Uh -huh. But uh, but there's a good story about the real world. So we tried to do a soap opera. We were like, "We're going to do a teen soap opera," and uh, we um, uh, we had a guy developing it, um, and it was going to be called St. Mark's Place. We'd be about a bunch of young kids in the East Village, mm -hmm. and but we were doing like a real like this is like not even Melrose Place. This was we were going to do like every day, you know, like the Young scripted? and the Restless scripted. scripted. Okay, and we're every day, mm -hmm. uh, and we hired a woman named Mary Else Bunham, who was uh, recommended to us by Fred Silverman, wow. legendary producer mm -hmm. uh, executive, uh, who had produced a bunch of soaps for NBC mm -hmm. Network, and she was she was funny. I think of her now. I, th I thought of her then as middle-aged. I'm probably twice as old now as she was then. So, but she was like an adult. Right. And we were a bunch of kids. And we did this whole process, and here's how dumb and stupid and young we, we were. We were literally months into it, and it, we're like, we realized, wait, we can't afford to do this. If we do a real soap opera, we have to do it every day, 50, you know, 50, 52 right. weeks a year. Like, we can't afford that. And that, in that days, there was no such thing as like limited things, and you know, it, soap operas were things that were on every day. Right. So we took it very little. Anyway, we shut it down. And about six weeks later, Mary Ellis came back with a guy named John Murray, and they said, you know, we think we have your soap opera thing figured out. I'm like, what's that? They said, um, and they, they basically pitched the real world. Um, and what they did is we cast um, uh, seven kids, um, and we put them into a New York City loft over uh, the Thanksgiving holidays, so like four days. And then we had a crew go in there and literally shoot it with little, at the time, handy cams, mm -hmm. you know, personal recorders. And they shot four days and they came up and they edited it all back up and they showed us this 20 minute tape and we we're like, oh, wow, that looks like a TV show. So, and it was, and wow. still is. That's amazing. Yeah. And then I was the idiot who thought, well, we can only do this once because the, you know, the beauty of it was those kids who went to that house mm -hmm. who all became kind of little mini stars in their own way, as all these people do now, mm -hmm. they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know that they were going to turn into TV stars. They had zero expectations coming. Oh, now every kid that comes into the real world house is going to be like playing to the cameras because they think they or know the they're going to be stars, and yeah. and they're going to be so over the top and so obnoxious and so 
you know, intolerable that it's going to be impossible to watch. But guess what? It's the exact opposite. They're so over the top. <laughs> They're so obnoxious. Everybody wants to watch. It's... And then we've got 20 years of that. Yeah, that's craziness right there. So you started that whole thing. It's all your fault. The Kardashians are your fault. No, I wouldn't, I'm not sure about that, but uh, we, did, we, did get a, we, we did get a particular ball rolling, so. Okay, so so you have that going on. Your program, your program director, what do you I was I'm not, So at this point, I'm probably like you know, running, running you know, what they call original programming. So okay. I'm running news and, and the events and the, and the series. Okay, and so how long does that last and what does that lead to? I mean, I basically, I was, I was at MTV, you know, for like what I would say exclusively. is the, exclusively from like 84 to 95. Rob Barnett. Rob Barnett was there, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Our, our great friend Rob Barnett was in the news department. A great, 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 great guy. Lovely guy. Um, I mean, I've worked with, you know, tremendous people, you know, like, um, you know, Ted Demi went on to be a feature film director. Mark Pellington went on to be a feature film director. Um, you know, so many, you know, Pam Thomas, you know, uh, uh, you know, big commercial director and network television, Beth McCarthy, one of the, one of the <clears throat> um, uh, by, by the way, two female directors coming out of, you know, MTV, which is also one of the great things about MTV back in those days. Um, wow. And also, yes, in equal I mean, I mean, DJs first, as well. I mean, everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a company that, uh, I think probably to this day is actually still more uh, women than men. Um, great, great, great female uh, uh, leaders in it, Judy McGrath. Um, at MTV, Jerry Laybourne, Nick Logan. Where, where is that? Is that Bob Pittman? I mean, like, where did that come from? Um, that I, th I think the culture. You know, mm -hmm. the, it was a it was a tremendous creative culture, and it was not just a bunch of you know old white guys. Um, by the way, we don't share white guys, me included. But um, it was just a, it was a forward thinking, um, progressive uh, culture that um, you know certainly as it pertained to sex. Um, you know that you know. I mean, look, uh, I, I, I actually shouldn't speak for the for the women of MTV or the world, but you know, it was a pretty healthy place, I thought, um, and certainly certainly much healthier than others. Mm -hmm. um, so anyhow, um, it was, uh, and it was, and it was a great place to work. It was, uh, the 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 creative, the culture at MTV in general, and the creative culture at MTV is you know the best I've ever experienced. Wow, and it's um, and, and it's important. You know, I mean, anybody who's out there. Who's you know trying to do this or wants to do this or wants to be part of something like this? You know, culture is important. Mm -hmm. And um, is it still that way there? It's changed a lot. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's, it's still it's changed a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you know as it pertains to the rest of the world, it's probably still pretty good. But you know, it, it was it was the best at one point. It really yeah. was. Um, it was you know it was, it was kind of Camelot. -like. Yeah. So there was it was a moment. Okay, so so how does that MTV experience grow into more? What happens? What happens is, you know, the company was growing, and so there was DH1, there was this and that, the other thing, and there was cuts of cut to the chase, you know, there was Comedy Central, mm -hmm. which was a co-venture between uh, and basically MTV, Viacom, and HBO slash Time Warner. So they, they started... I didn't know HBO was involved in Yeah, yeah. so it was, so what happened was HBO started Ha, and MTV right. started the Comedy Channel, and the Comedy War started, and they both were failing. And uh, the cable operators basically got them together and said, look, we don't want to, we want one, you guys get together. So this co-venture was born. And it sort of bounced around for a couple of years. And then this opportunity came up to, uh, so they were looking for new leadership. I was basically the number two guy at MTV. I was working for the, my great friend, Judy McGrath. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always been a huge comedy fan. And I also, you know, was desirous of, you know, trying to figure out whether I could fly one of those things on my own. Mm -hmm. And so I threw my hand up and said, hey, can you kind of do that? 
and uh, I got I was able to do that, and that was great. It was a, you know, that was so awesome. right from the start, you you were the guy, you were the Comedy Central guy. Well, not from the start, but pretty early. I mean, you know, Comedy Central was around for but not, you know. What were, they, they, do, what were they doing? They were, well, truthfully, I'll tell you, there's a lot of Benny Hill uh, mm -hmm. reruns, there's mm -hmm. a lot of bad, they did have um, Bill Moore show. Mm -hmm. But the day I took the so job. Samantha's dad worked on that. Yeah, the day, in those days. the day, I said, Craig. Mm -hmm. So the day I took the job, I got a call from Bill's manager who said, you know, congratulations, I've got some bad news. Bill signed a contract with ABC. He's going to be, he's going to be leaving here now. I went, well, I just got it. I don't, get, I don't need to get a shot at like. He's like, no. And then, and then, so I had a good part of a year to figure out what to do next. Mm -hmm. And that was the Daily Show. Okay, so is it true that you were sitting around saying we should have a Daily well, Show? Is yeah, no. I mean, the truth is, you know, the truth. The truth is, I felt that Comedy Central needed to have a show that was on every day mm -hmm. that was going to take a look at the world, be funny every day, take a look at the world every day. And I used to refer to us that we need our sports center, mm -hmm. right? Because you know. And Craig Kilborn was a sports guy. And he was a sports guy. So. And so, how did you? Did you? Did you? So, so yeah, no, I, yeah. So I like you know. I will. I'll, I'll do a little. Uh, I'll do a little self. -promote. So. Comedy Comedy Central uh, just renewed Trevor Noah through like two thousand and I don't know twenty, twenty two maybe whatever it is, and he's doing a great job. Yeah. And I uh, I texted him. I said, Hey man, congratulations! You deserve it. So happy for you. I said, selfishly, I get to say I, I hired every host of the Daily Show through 2020. So, so I hired them all. So Craig, yeah, so I, I come up with this idea, then we had to hand it off to Madeline Smithberg and yes. Liz Winstead, uh -huh. who basically, you know, sort of helped fill in spaces on the Daily Show. And, and uh, I was watching SportsCenter, and Craig was the late night guy. He was mm -hmm. sort of the snarky... Yes. Late night guy, mm -hmm. and I remember talking to an agent saying, "Hey, you know this guy on ESPN I like? Can't remember his name. He kind of has like a little bit of a Dennis Miller thing going on." He goes, "Craig Kilburn is my client, and he's available." And it was just like that fast. So, wow, some things yeah. are just meant to be. There was okay. So then, uh, how did you happen upon? I'm assuming you saw John Stewart. Well, John Stewart, John Stewart, John Stewart, John um, Stewart. I put John Stewart on MTV. So the original. So John did. Uh, to show you, but uh, short attention yeah, which yeah. lasted you know a short time. But um, right. John had come to my attention when I was at MTV, and I put him in a show called a really bad show that he hosted called "You Wrote It, You Watch It," which is better, better, I, better, I better left. Uh, it was lasted a minute and a half. John was the host, <laughs> uh, and then but we were in love with John, and yeah. we did a talk show with John Stewart. We did the John Stewart show, which actually left MTV and then went to syndication. Um, yeah. For a while, for okay. Paramount, yeah. I kind of remember that. And that was like John's first sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, so I had a relationship with John that goes back to MTV. Okay. Uh, and so you know, Craig was in a couple of years, and then not like Bill Moore, I get a call one day, and I'm like, he's going to CBS. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so you know, the search you know went on for Craig's replacement, and you know, honestly, at the time, John was. John had been out here for a while in Los Angeles. He was doing, he spent the season writing on um, Larry Sanders. Uh -huh. And there was some speculation that HBO might continue the show with, like, you know, Larry's. Uh, uh, Larry, no, Larry, the Larry Sanders character would leave his show, and then John Stewart would be like. I think I remember. And there was like, there was like a minute that. where yes, that was I like. Think a, I remember and that. And so, you know, part of me felt like, you know, it was like, you know, so John was very hot. Plus, he was. On top of that, he was legitimately always being talked about, and uh, as the heir apparent to to Dave. To Dave, yeah. Um, but now 
Craig had come in and taken that back job, so that wasn't available. Right. Uh, and truthfully, I you know I didn't approach John about the Daily Show because I wasn't sure he. I'll give you some juice. You know who I approached him. You know who I talked to and turned it down for John Stewart. Who? Jimmy Kimmel. Wow. Jimmy Kimmel was the co-host of Win Ben Stein. I remember. Oh God, I used to love that show, yeah. and I loved it because of Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, and he he I remember no, Ben Stein was cute too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, super smart Ben. Anyway, yes. so I remember like how oh, they. He, why did he wait? Why did why did Jimmy turn it down? I. Why do you think? You know, I, you know that's a good. I, I I remember exactly where I was. We were having, I was having dinner with him and his first wife. And uh, I'm pitching him the thing, and he was whatever it was. He wasn't buying. He didn't want to do it. Um, wow. You know, the Daily Show wasn't the Daily Show then. Okay. And, and by the way, and here's the reason I didn't think John Stewart would do it because we were Comedy Central. It was like, oh, you know, it wasn't the yeah, coolest yeah. thing yet. Mm-hmm. We were getting there. I mean, South Park was on the air, so and the Daily Show had gotten some heat, but it was still you brought emerging. South Park in, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking, like, John's not going to do this. Like, he's not coming at Comedy Central to replace. Craig Kilborn, he's going to replace David Letterman one day. Right. He did replace David Letterman one day, and he did it through The Daily Show. Um, so somebody at some point called yeah. me, a guy who was a manager who was working with him a little bit at the time, said, you know, I think John might be interested. You should call him. Call him up, took him out for lunch, and that was that. So why, why do you think he made that choice? Because he was the clearly He clearly saw a opportunity, and mm-hmm. he, saw a, he saw a platform and a venue that he could make his own, and and he really clearly, I mean, you know, of course he did. And you know, he he saw like a diamond in the rough, and that's why he's John Stewart. Yeah, yeah that's pretty. That's pretty yeah. great. That's pretty great. All right. So so what? So all kinds of other things. So now that's a huge success for you. It is. So now I'm riding all. The, yeah. So now you're ju- you're just Comedy Central. Not that I'm that's just Comedy just, Central. Yeah. Okay. I'm just yeah. And so and South Park was huge. Yeah. Yeah. South Park just came out of the gate screaming and. You know, again, remains to this day, still going. And um, so all of a sudden... I'm you got any stories? With, how did that start? Uh, I, can't, I was in Los Angeles. I was at our LA offices, which were in Century City at the time. Uh, a woman named Debbie Liebling, who was a uh, uh, Comedy Central Development Executive at the time, says, you got, i got to show you something. And she pulls me to a conference room, and she puts this VHS into <laughs> the tape machine. <laughs> And she shows me the now infamous and famous and brilliantly hilarious Spirit of Christmas short. <laughs> yep. And I watch it, and I thought it was the funniest thing I ever seen. And I said, uh, she said, what do you think? I said, you need to run that again. <laughs> and, and, she, and she played it again, and I said, again, kind of, you know, sort of, sort of, on one hand, instinctually right, which is, we need to be in business with you guys. But I was also wrong in that I said, like, well, we can't do that. <laughs> but we need to be in business, guys. But So I was right about being in business with guys. I was wrong about it because they did do that and more. Uh, well, and so what, what was your feeling? Why did you feel we can't do that? Because it was so... It was I mean, you, so have to, you have to really take it. You have to really... But you should break. describe it because not everybody has seen it. Oh, God. Really? Is that true? Okay. Go to the internet and, and <laughs> folks and, and find it's, it. It's Jesus versus It's Jesus versus Santa Claus yeah. with, a, with a special guest appearance by Brian Boitano. <laughs> uh, what would Brian Boitano do? Uh, it's brilliant. Still to this day. Still one of the funniest things ever. Handcrafted. You know, there was really cut out, so it wasn't even animated yet. It was up really. But it, you have to remember, you know, so you have to go back to this is 1996. Seven, six, mm-hmm. 96, 97. Pre-internet. And, yeah, this is pre-internet. You know, the edgiest wow. things on television mm-hmm. are probably The Simpsons. In oh, li- definitely. In Living Color. Mm-hmm. Howard Stern's, you know, getting a lot of heat for what he's doing on AM radio. Saturday Night Live. 
Saturday Night Live. But Saturday Night Live was kind of tame. This was not, yeah. these were off years for Saturday Night Live. Truthfully. That's true. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but you know, not you know, not not not. But the world was a different place. Yeah. And it was a it was a you know and. But as I as I said then, as I like to say now, every day something comes out and just pushes the culture forward, right? Yeah. So that was South Park's turn, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But I do remember the night before we put it on, you know, so we were a joint venture. So the great part about that was I worked for two companies, two different people basically, Tom Freston and uh, Viacom and Jeff Bugis at Time Warner. They were great guys, brilliant guys, smart guys, the best guys. If you're going to have two bosses, I have two, the two of the best. But they were because it was a joint venture. They, you know, they they, they couldn't really tell me what to do, because oh. the other guy had to agree. Yeah. And by the way, they let they basically they basically let me do whatever I want. They had big jobs. They had other problems. They just were like, make it better. So South Park comes along. And I show it to both of them, and they both got it. Mm-hmm. And they both liked it. Mm-hmm. And it has occurred to me that if I only worked, if the, if if Comedy Central had only been owned by a single company at the mm-hmm. time, because again. Life was different in 1996, 97. Maybe somebody would have said to me, I can't put that on. Mm-hmm. So it was to your advantage that it was. You had, uh-huh. and, I did, and I remember springing up out of the sleep, this is a true story, the night before I put it on, I, in a cold sweat, thinking, can I, like, like, is this legal? <laughs> like, can I get in trouble for this? Now, the great thing about cable was we were not, we were not uh, governed by the FCC. So oh. we, could, we could do whatever we want as long as an advertiser was willing to buy it. So was, was there trouble with that? Did you have trouble getting advertisers at the beginning? We did. And I said to my sales guy, I go, look, I'm doing this. He's like, no one's going to be in it. And uh, I go, look, we're doing this. And if it works, no they, will, they will come along. Yeah. And it worked pretty quickly. Now, the truth about, about South Park has changed a little bit because the world's changed. But, you know, it's still true to a certain extent. Not everybody wants to be in it from an advertiser standpoint. Mm-hmm. But those who want to be who do will pay a premium. Okay, because so when you very first started, right. did you have any advertisers? I'm sure there were people in it, yeah, but but probably, you know, crappy. You know, Crazy Eddie or something. Yeah, well, yeah, low rent. Right. Probably early on low rent. Although, yeah. you know, and we just didn't have a lot of great advertisers to begin with at Comedy Central in those days. But uh-huh. the people that, you know, the, the, you know, the studios would come in, that was later. Um, you know, look, people who wanted to reach young guys would pay a premium. So the studios, soft drinks, sneakers... Um, you know, different things. But then there were a lot of advertisers who didn't want to go near it. So, okay, so you get South Park, you have the you have the Daily Show. Okay, so then I get lured to Hollywood to run the Fox Network, the okay. broadcast network. Yes. Oh, I didn't even know about yes, that. Yes. Okay. Oh, actually, I, so I did run the Fox Network, but I did not run Epics. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's somehow I, I've it's seen on, that. It's I've on seen there. that. Yeah, I've seen that. That's trailed me a little bit. I don't know how that got out on the internet, but I never had. My apologies to Mark Greenberg. Yeah, it's on. Really it's did. on your wiki page. Um. Uh. So yeah, so I got um, I was lured to you know you know you know as a kid growing up watching three networks uh-huh. you know Fox and, was like Fox well there was wasn't like, even a Fox uh, there it was, was ABC NBC CBS when I was yeah, growing up oh yeah but I'm I'm a little, even a little older than you there was WPIX and there was WOR well those were local those stations were local. right those so they were, were not they were not they were not, they were just they completely were independent Fox. yeah right, no, they were completely right, independent right, yeah, there were only right. three networks growing up so right. the dream of running a network was always in the back of my head ah. and I sort of fell prey to that and came out here to run the Fox network it was not my best decision probably. Um, <laughs> okay, so tell, give us some ju- dirt on that. Why? No, just you know, I. Uh, I but now this I is the in, first time you're in. No, you were Comedy Central. You were Network Head. But this is, this is different. Brought big difference. Yeah, Fox Each, is big, and yeah. certainly then. Yeah, huge difference between broadcast okay. and cable. Okay. Um, you know, they were they're basically a different business. 
And I was a cable guy, and I was right. a cable baby, and I'd grown up in cable. And um, so I would say two things. I would say ultimately, probably not not the right place. Although because uh, it just did not play to my strengths, and I didn't quite get it. And I was a you know look to be honest, I was a little ambivalent about it at the time. Um, Why'd you do it? And I think I would do it again. I did it because it felt like the next logical step. Yeah. But the truth is, I you know I probably could have stayed in cable and continued to grow. You know, I was I was I was at a joint venture, so I was a little bit like, well, I don't work for Viacom anymore, and I don't work for Time Warner anymore. And this is not you know South Park guys have heard me say this, so you know if I had known South Park was last twenty years, <laughs> I would I would have never left. But I was like, oh my god, I put like the biggest show on, like how much bigger can it get, right? And all of a sudden, somebody's thrown on this opportunity and some money, and like, and it just felt, you know. And then I'm like the guy who grew up on network television, right. and you sort of think like, I need, you know, I grew up like, oh, I want to be, you know, Fred Silverman or Brandon Tartikoff, or right? Those guys. And so it, I was like, okay, maybe I should do this. So I did, um, and it was, it was, it was. So it, what did you do on Fox? My one, I was only there for 14 months. Oh, okay. And I had my claim to fame was Malcolm and Bill. Um, that's so a pretty good claim to fame. Yeah, yeah, that's which is pretty, how I met Gail. That's a pretty good claim to yeah, fame. Yeah. So, and that was, you know, it was a script that was at another network that nobody, it was, you know, with a guy nobody believed in or cared about, and somebody handed it to me, so I think you like this, and I read it, and I thought it was the funniest thing I ever read. And I was like, I'm going to make this. And again, I don't know if it was going to be a hit, I just know I liked it. And, um... Is, okay, let's stop for a second. Because we you've already had South Park, you've had The Daily Show, you, you've now had Malcolm in the Middle... What I'm hearing you say is that these are all things that appeal to your sensibilities. Yeah, well, you have to start there. You know, I mean, I think... I don't think everybody does. I think there are people who make business decisions. That's true. And I, I had the... I, well, I, I think that's true. And I had the, I had the luxury uh, and good fortune to work at networks that were directly at young people. I was still a young person <laughs> in those days. And, you know, so I was as much the audience as I was somebody who worked. There. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I usually, I generally started with, well, yeah, I, I, I was never, you know, I, I was never the kind of person that went like, well, I think the audience will like it. It had to start with like, did do, I, ever, do I think it was interesting and did I like it? Did you ever put something on because you said, oh, the audience is going to like it? Sure, you did all the time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, you know, rarely works. Um, okay. You know. Can you think of an example? Like, Anything I put on that wasn't South Park or the Daily Show. <laughs> I mean, there's millions of them. No, but you go like, oh, they, you know, it's like, you know, the audience is, you know, you know, 50% women or 60% women. So, well, women will like this, and the audience likes shows about X. Well, this is a show about X, and, the, and it's like, of course, this will work, right? Because we match up all the boxes. You have it doesn't to. work that way. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So. Uh, but anyway, Malcolm in the Middle was, you know, it, you know, nobody wanted to do a single camera, nobody wanted to do, uh, you know, single cameras were not a thing then, mm -hmm. uh, they were out of fashion, uh, nobody wanted to do a show with a kid as the lead, yeah. they're, like, that's, they're like, it's a Nickelodeon show, even after we did the brilliant pilot, and, and it won an Emmy, the pilot actually won an Emmy, wow. um, the network, of uh, the people I worked for, wanted to kick the guy off who created and ran the show, I'm like, he is the show. Oh, what are you doing? Right. I had a fight for that. Anyway, so, but that, and Brian Cranston, of course, came out of uh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Malcolm Mill. Anyway, so that was my little claim to fame. I sort of got out of Fox, I would say, with my, uh, I'd like to say, with my reputation and dignity intact for the most part. Okay. And dusted myself off and moved on. And the next step? I went to work at the USA Network. Oh! For Barry Diller. Woo! <laughs> All right, that, that gives me goose. That gives me woohoo. Okay, that's a weird. It was, but you know, I was. Um, I needed a job. 
So uh, it was time to go back to work, and uh-huh. they needed uh, some leadership, and they were just getting, you know, they, 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 this was at the sort of front end of USA getting into, I would say, quality scripted programming versus kind of like the cheesier stuff, that, you know, Pacific Blue and the stuff they had been doing for years. And the strategy that Bonnie Hammer, truthfully, uh-huh. after I departed, really took, ran with, and made great, and, you know, made you So what did you make happen there while you were there? A show called Monk with Tony Shalhoub. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, and again, you know, just when I got there, they didn't have a lot of development, they didn't have a lot of scripts. That was one of the things they had, and, and, and there was a woman there named Jackie Lyons who was very passionate about it and wouldn't let it go, and also believed from the start that Tony Shalhoub should play the role. And we went, and Tony, you know, at that, that time he was doing a lot of movies, and mm-hmm. was very skeptical that TV TV wasn't cool like it is today. USA Network was not cool at all. Right, right. And um, he basically turned us down, and we talked to every other actor in Hollywood. We actually cast somebody else, and uh, hired him, and then ended up firing him, because uh, he came in for a read. We we're like, okay, that's our guy. Then he came back to read with somebody else after he already had a job. We're like, <laughs> and we uh, how'd you get Tony we went back to Tony and we were like we you know started throwing a little bit of money at him and you know just really great. and he finally said yes so. I think there's something to really being wanted and knowing that you are really wanted yeah although I gotta get again remember you know in 2001 or 2 when this was you know again like they're, 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 premium scripted cable shows were not a thing yeah. USA was not, not any place anybody wanted to be. Anybody good or cool wanted to be. Right. And, you know, it was, a, it was a challenge, but we got done. And so, you know, things began to... So the US, I was there for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it moved being the most... Uh, how, did that, how did that feel for you as a career move? <coughs> Having been at MTV, excuse me, where you were so passionate right. and happy. And then you go to... USA. Yeah, I mean it was it was uh, it was different. Although you know, I got to build a great oh, team there. I love I love bless you. I, I, <laughs> excuse me, I'm having like an allergy fit. Right now. Okay, my I, I had a great I really love my team there. Um, got to bring I actually brought in some people I worked with at MTV and comedy. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. All right. Yes. All right. Uh, and yeah, it was a little different. Yeah. But you know, come out of Fox, you know, which was a bigger, broader type network. This wasn't Fox at all. But it was it was big and broad was the target. So yeah. I had a, you know so it wasn't so at least it wasn't the first time I was doing that. And you know, it was it was a little bit of a sideways move. Okay. Um, but like I said, you know I you know I was kind of mid career and you know. How old are you? How old am I now? No, then. Uh, then I'm probably forty still... something. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, it's like early forties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it was uh, you know I, I love those kinds of jobs mm-hmm. and I was like I'm gonna do this and see what happens and uh, and so that was about another three and a half years or so okay and so then they got sold okay so the so USA so Barry Giller sold uh, what, what was called when I got there USA Studios mm-hmm. which was a little movie studio in the network and sci-fi back to well, at the time what was the Vendi Universal then Vivendi I don't even right, know that left one. and then it was yeah. just Universal mm-hmm. and then uh, NBC Comcast came in and bought uh, USA, so all the Comcast guys got good jobs. Mm. So I was time for me to move on. Okay. So uh, my very great colleagues, friends, mentors, bosses, the Tom Preston and Jimmy McGrath said you should come back and run Comedy Central, and so I did. 
So, and then I was there at Viacom from, uh, what was that, 2004 to uh, the end of last year. So, so now you're this head of this huge conglomerate of networks. Right. Um, was that still a creative job for you? What was that job now for you? It's funny, you know what? Uh, my kids all the time say, Dad, what do you do? <laughs> like, like, yeah, I know, you're the president of the network. You know? So the, the truth is a lot of things, and it's very, you know, on any given day in those jobs, it could be, you know, you could actually be sitting in a pitch meeting, or you could be sitting in a corporate budget meeting, or, you know, or anything in between, you know, and it could be marketing. And I mean, you're the, you're, I said I'm responsible for everything. But I go, but to, to make them understand, I said, here's what I really do. If I know what my job is, I manage people, and I manage processes. So... That's the sort of broadest, simplest way I can do it. Um, I'm there to try and get everybody to do their jobs better. And so far, but that you're is, still championing shows and making. I am, but I'm not picking. You know, I mean, you know, I mean. Inside Amy Schumer was. It, well, so what happens is when when um, I mean, look, my relationship with my um, uh, the guys, uh, people who work for me, the program uh, or the the, the the network presidents. You know, you know, we have an ongoing dialogue. So they come in like, hey, I'm thinking about this show, I'm thinking about that show, what do you think? But they're the ones who are on the ground, who are taking the pitches, who are developing the shows and making the pilots. I'm, you know, sometimes they'll show me stuff, sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll show me when they get to the finish line. Sometimes they'll, they'll want my opinion a little earlier. Uh -huh. But when they get to the finish line and we go through what we call like a green light process, right? Which is they want to put it on the air, which means spending a bunch of money. So that's when I, you know, that's when I formally have to weigh in. Right. Right. Like, I think we should do this, or I don't think we should do this, or I don't think we should do this, but why do you think we should do this? Because I don't see it. Um, Did anybody try to hard sell you anything that you were resistant to that you ended up giving a green light? Oh my to? God. Oh, every day. I, I mean, so, can you name something that was like something you didn't fall for right away that became a big success? Um, I. Yeah, God, oh my God, there's so many things. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a born, you know, and in my job, I sort of play the skeptic. Uh -huh. Like, I'm supposed to be, like, the guy who sort of, like, uh, you know, takes the other, you know, the other point of view. Uh -huh. And What is that called? The, the, the uh, devil's yeah. advocate? The, no, when you have the, the one guy who's the easy guy and the other guy is the hard guy. The back up? So you're right. So you're the well, bad well, I'm not the bad I'm, I'm, I'm the guy in the suit. So, um, yeah. you know, you're I remember, uh, you know, I'm always like, is it good enough? Is it funny enough? You know, and... Here's what I, you know, many, many, many times somebody has sat with me and said, you know, I want to do this and I believe in this and I think this is good and I think we should do it. And I said, you know what? I don't really get it. I'm not sure I would do it, but you, you, you do it. Let, let's see. Let's see what happens. And, and I've been rewarded many times. I'm also, and I'm also never the guy who would say, if it doesn't work, I'm never going to come back and go, you know, you know I was right, you were wrong. Just, just move on. Okay, there's, so give, give us too, an example there's, there's, of a show that you. I were... thought I remember thinking, like, for instance, you know, I felt like, you know, I was like, I was like, was Key and Peele um, sort of, sort of uh, edgy enough? Um, and, and and they certainly had their edge, but you know, the pilot they made was like a little sort of softer, broader. Mm -hmm. I was like, are they edgy enough for us? Mm -hmm. And you know, Kent Alterman, who you know, shepherded that, was like, absolutely, and they're funny, and it's great, and I believe these guys, and we should do them. Okay, go do that. Gene Peel. Jordan Peel's the, uh, you know, mm -hmm. he's uh, probably the hottest director in Hollywood right now. So. So, okay, so, so a couple things I want to ask you. One, um, so everybody out there watching, many, many people have projects right. that they are passionate about. 
Is there any advice you could give uh, for people who are preparing a fish, for people who are who, who are honing an idea, who are be, be prepared, um, be prepared to talk about where the show goes beyond the pilot. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you need to really be able to see a season out, two seasons out, three seasons out, really be and really be particular about it. Never ask what do you want. You know, tell them what the show should be. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you later on. Mm -hmm. You know, but you know, like, and never say like, "What are you looking for?" Okay, yeah. so wait, wait, I have a question for you. So many times people say, "Liken it to shows that already exist." Is that something that you guys want? Okay, this is Curb meets Girls meets Sex in the City meets. It, it, do suits want that conversation? Uh, you know, it could be helpful mm -hmm. depending on how smart your suit is. Yeah. Uh, but I think let them say that. Mm -hmm. they can, let them go. Oh, it's a little you know. Instead of I don't know, because it just it just sounds so cliched and sort of pre. You look at the end of the day, you want you know your your what you really hope is your idea stands alone as something new, fresh, and original. Absolutely. And by the way, you know, I mean, you know, everything there, old is new again. Yeah. And there are no new ideas, of mm -hmm. course. But but we see every day people put spins on you know. On traditional um, stories and narratives of women, and, and make great stuff. But um, uh, you know, you need to be prepared. You need to be passionate. Um, you know. Okay, so t tell me about. Be the person with one idea. Like nobody loves. Like ah, if you don't like this, how about this? You know. Ooh, um, that's that, good to know. I'm, I, 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 I never think that's a good thing. You know. Go I mean, in with one with one killer. I you gotta go in with one killer. You can always come back. You know, but like, don't make it seem like, you know, you're, because it makes it seem like you're not committed to it. You're just a salesman. Although, you know what? A lot of agents will say, you know, make sure you have five other ideas so that if they ask you what well, else you Well, it depends what kind of media it is. It depends what kind of media it is. If you're pitching a show, I've been in right. things where people come and pitching a show, mm -hmm. they see it going south, you know, so and then they go, yeah, and they go, how about something else? <laughs> if you're going in for like a meet and greet and to, you know, sort of meet an executive and sort of like, hey, I'm a, you know, you haven't met me before, I'm a writer and I, you know. Yeah, then it's. I think you talk about several ideas and broad mm -hmm. ideas, but um, clear. Um, uh, like I said, sort of, sort of see the show where the show's going. Mm -hmm. to be able to you know immediately articulate where they go in episode two, if not the rest of the season. You know the arc. The, um, and, uh, and, 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 and just be prepared. Is it all the verbal pitch? Will you actually read um, if they put a, a, something together? You yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. people, people, you know, people, you know, people, you know, if it's something to look at, mm -hmm. I don't know, people read that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, and if there, you know, if there's a visual thing that works. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what I used to, you know, the there's a show on Netflix called. Uh, American Vandal. You guys heard about this thing? I haven't, I haven't seen it. But Ask your kids. Yes, I have seen seriously, it. Seriously, okay. seriously funny. It's a, it's a genre bending. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so those guys came into Pitch Comedy Central, and even before they got to the actual pitch, they sort of like had us on the floor laughing so hard oh, nice. with their introduction, which was which was a wildly produced thing. Can like you something say the, they spent. Say the premise. Oh, the premise is. Um, uh, it's in a high school, and somebody is drawing um, uh, dicks on on, uh, on cars in the parking lot. Okay. And, it, and, and it's a parody, basically, of it's, the uh, that uh, murder. Um, yeah, it's it's like um, making a murder. Making a murder, yeah. yeah. But so it's, it's in a high school, and it's a it's like it's a mockumentary. It's a mockumentary, it yeah. It really brilliant. looks like a documentary. Anyway, it was the best. It's one of the best pictures I've ever been in. Um, <laughs> because first of all. 
They, so what they do? Well, they blew the doors off. They produced this, which you don't have to do. I mean, this was a little bit like, you know, a lot of people try and come in and, um, you know, they, you know, they want to, you know, they want to, you know, curry favor, and so they're 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 gonna they're gonna Overproduce? do things. Well, no, no, they're they're, they're just gonna do things, you know, to make you feel like a big shot or make you feel like. But these guys produced this tape okay. um, about the two people that are gonna be pitching, which were myself and this guy Kent Alterman, okay. and it was drop dead funny. Well, what, what, is, what did they do? Give us a tell they, us. They it was it was basically uh, and they were putting our heads on all these different footage, but it was <laughs> but, it, but it was it was basically the story of like them coming in and pitching and then Kent and I being brilliant enough to say yes, <laughs> and, and then the show going on a great success. But it was, it was brilliantly produced. It was crazy funny and it was hilarious and it and wow. and it was just it was kind of and then then they got to the pitch and the pitch was great wow. and you know of course we lost Netflix but. Um, but you know, it's just you know, a great you know. I mean, you can blow the doors off like that. Wow. You know, and uh, and they did. Uh, but it depends who you're talking to, and you know, it, it, you know. Any other great pitches you can tell us about? Anything else that like really was memorable for you? Pitches? Yeah. Uh, I remember the South Park guys coming in. They made the pilot, mm -hmm. and it was a little disappointing. Uh, we were all like, oh, it wasn't like as funny as we wanted it to be. I remember, so they, I remember they, came, they flew to New York and they came into my office where I still, I still I should have kept it because uh, they, they gave us something, but they wore, um, and they, you know, they said they, they, they grew up in Colorado mm -hmm. and they didn't have letter grades. They had check, check plus, check minus. <laughs> and they came in wearing check minus t-shirts. <laughs> and, uh, and then they went back to the drawing board and kind of sort of rejiggered the pile a little bit to become the great hysterical pile that is and, you know. History, but um, check minus is cute. Check I like it. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've seen some of the worst things. You know, I mean, I've been pitched some of the absolute worst ideas ever. And, um, so and what do you I, say okay, when you're sitting across yeah, from somebody? You try it. and be you 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 try and be thoughtful and nice and respectful. And it's you know it's it's you know everybody deserves respect. And then you politely you know I mean I never say that's the worst thing I ever heard. Um, but you politely say, you know what, that's not for us. Or okay, so now have, have you turned down, have you had a horrible pitch that you turned down that went somewhere else that ended up being a monster hit? Uh, not probably not a monster hit, but I can probably remember some things that, you know, I mean, you know, there's probably some things that we, I, I know there's some things we didn't pick up that, you know, or we decided not to, we didn't like or went other places and, mm -hmm. you know, this, that, and the other thing. But no, not, not anything that was a monster hit. Well, that's good. You don't want one of those. No, but you know, people that happens yes, too. You know, yes. not you know, as I like to say, you know, the job of trying to find, you know, hit programming. Um, you know, if you can hit three hundred, you know, you're, a, you know, that makes you you're a whole famer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, because um, you know, seven, eight out of ten things you do are just going to fall flat on their face. Mm -hmm. That's just the game. Okay, so so here you are at this stage of your life. W what's next for Doug Herzog? That's a good question. What 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 do you passionate? Do you have passion? I do. Now? I'm still yeah. I'm still passionate. I'm passionate about you know TV content. I'm passionate about music. Mm -hmm. um, I've become passionate about traveling. I love traveling. Do you have a blog? Year. Do you have a music blog? I blog like once in a blue moon. Okay. I blog like at the end of the year. I do like a little list of uh, of uh, you know my favorite songs of the year, and I'll write a little thing about it, which is more an exercise for me. I don't think anybody really reads it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm always very, very uh, charmed and, and uh, delighted when somebody actually reads it and says they read it. But my guess is, I would say there's probably less than 20 people actually got through the whole thing. <laughs> I do it more for me than anybody else. Um, and then if every once in a while, if something happens in pop culture, and it's usually 
inspired by one of my musical heroes passing away, which we've had far too much of. I might do a little, do a little blog post. Mm -hmm. But um, no, I, I, I spent the last year traveling. I had a great time. You know, I, uh, you know, as, as you heard uh, at the top of this, I, you know, left college, went right to work, mm -hmm. and so I never got, you know, I never took like a lot of time off, and and so uh, I just wanted. There was a bunch of boxes I wanted to check off, so I did. So, so what what were your favorite places on your? Every place I went, I went to uh, I went to <laughs> Jamaica and Cuba. I wanted to go to I wanted to go to Cuba and Havana for a long time. And I was glad I got there because I don't know what's going on now. Yeah. Uh, I'd never been to Asia, so went to uh, spent three weeks in the Far East, and uh, it was great. Um, Hong Kong, Thailand, and Japan. Uh, I went on a fifteen day road trip with some buddies, uh, like a southern. So like civil rights slash music road trip through the South, which oh, was amazing. Um, really, that was one of my favorite things I did. Um, did like a baseball tour, big baseball fan. So I did like a Rust Belt baseball tour with the buddies. We went to Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. You can drive those all. And <laughs> cool things to see there, Rock Hall of Fame. Uh -huh. and, you know, the Motown Museum in Detroit. And a great Andy Warhol Museum in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, went to Israel, never did Israel. Went on a great trip to Israel. Um, spent some time at the beach. Um, went to some national parks. I'd never done any of the national parks. Went to, uh, so I mean, I, I just you did had, it. You had a lot of living to do. I had a lot of living to do, man. I was, I, and I was, my mindset was like, use it or lose it. And um, I want to get out there and do these things. And been thinking of, I was thinking about all of them for a long time. And I, I, I actually, I'm sort of proud of myself. I was like, I, everything I want to do in 2017, I did. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, so we're at 2018. Yeah, now I don't know. So, do you have a blank sheet of paper? I, it's kind of blank right now, yeah. That's kind of exciting, though, yeah. because... Uh, it's a little scary. It's scary, but uh, my life coach, Jeremy Stevens, <laughs> who uh, who was uh, on Everybody Loves Raymond, he took it to Russia and made it a big hit. Jeremy's amazing. Oh, okay. Um, he wrote on the original Firmware Tonight, um, oh. which nothing... Nothing better than that. that. So anyway, Jeremy says that um, allowing space for things right. is a really important thing to do. Well, I got space. I got plenty. I got, I got, there's a lot of space happening in my world. If, so, if uh, you had, if 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 you could have your highest dream, and maybe you don't have one right now, but is there something that if you could create your magic right now, what might it look like? It might look like me, like playing, you know, in, a, in a small room playing records. Like I, 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 I really just want to be an FM DJ. So <laughs> that was my favorite job I ever had as a college DJ, and I would I would go back and do that in a minute. Louise started Premier Radio, ah, so she's a. Maybe you can find me a gig. <laughs> God, I, I've been told I have a good radio voice. You do. You do. You have a great radio voice. Uh, you ask her, you in radio? Like I like we got was when I was eighteen. Um, but uh, no, to you know, to be determined. I'm not done. People go, are you retired? I go, well, I might be retired. I just don't know it. But um, I, I said, no, I know. I go, I'm at work. I'm not retired. Yeah, so I, I, uh, I don't see you as retired. Yeah, I don't no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not retired. I, you know, the world's changed dramatically. Sort of taking a look at you know what's going on out there, and there's you know beyond the sort of world I was in. There's now this world of streaming video, right? Mm -hmm. Which is sort of one podcasting. Bucket. Well, the podcast. My, all my kids didn't actually pass. Like the world is not even a podcast for me. Um, and then there's the world of like digital media. Um, and you know, how do you sort of, feel about digital media? It's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, is it something that might call to you? Yeah, I think um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it and trying to spend some time, sort of, you know, and see if there's a there there in general, see if mm -hmm. there's a there there for me, vice versa. Um, but you know, I do believe it. You know, reminds me to a certain extent about like 
a little bit like the dawn of cable television. Absolutely, it's exactly yeah, what it yeah. is. That's what I was just saying. And thinking. you know, there's still you know, some interesting new brands out there, mm -hmm. and so it's interesting. It's you know, we'll we'll have to see. But I'm um, certainly as a you know, I'm interested both professionally and as a consumer. And um, uh, there's a lot of cool, a lot, a lot of people doing some cool things. And what, as you pioneered and championed uh, cable, I could see you being a pioneer and a champion on new media. I can, see, I can only, see only, only time will tell. Well, if you got a job out there. Uh, um, anyway, Doug, thank you so much oh, this for is being fun. here. Thank you. Um, yeah. uh, so you got a lot of stuff to take away, people out there, as do I, a lot to digest. So the 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 big takeaway. You got to be a little lucky. You got and the luck. Got to be a little lucky. I mean, I, I, I you know I always tell this to certainly young people. You know, unless you're Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson, or Steven Spielberg, or Steve Jobs, right? Or just somebody who's so undeniably brilliant mm -hmm. and talented and gifted that they're just gonna get there anyway. Mm -hmm. The rest of us, most of us, gotta be a little lucky. Gotta work hard, right? Gotta, gotta be good at what you do, gotta want it, gotta be passionate, gotta work harder than the next person, gotta go for it, gotta be smart, and gotta be a little lucky. Let me ask you about this last component that uh, I've been thinking about lately is that people that are good to work with, people that are responsible, that show up, that do what they say they're going to do, that follow through, isn't that, like if you have a bunch of people and, and aren't you going to, and they all have the smarts and the talent and isn't that person that's really nice and easy going to be the one you're going to choose? Um, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, you know, I used to have a saying that, you know, anybody who worked for me could tell you this, you know, I, 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 and this came from starting out in the MTV culture, which was a very particular kind of place. And, you know, our attitude and my attitude going forward after that was no assholes allowed. And now, sometimes they make their way in and they generally don't last long and, you know, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on, you know, you know, everybody needs to work together and get along and treat each other right. And. You know that's what I, that's certainly what I always try to do. But you also want to win the game, right? So it's not always it's not always that easy. You know, you know, be it, you know, um, you know. Uh, I like to think you can be successful in show business and still be a nice person. Mm -hmm. Like think that I was successful in show business while maintaining you know the identity of like a nice person. From from um, everything on social media, everybody was saying when they saw you were going to be on the show. Oh, greatest guy, best, blah blah. So there's no yeah. you know I just always treated people, and it doesn't matter who they were. I just treat people the way I want to be treated. I don't care if you were the intern or the assistant or the star of the show. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just, you just, you just, everybody should be respectful. And so that's a way to go through life. But you know, and then after that, you gotta, gotta do all the hard work and and you know, right place, right time, sometimes, and be a little lucky. Okay, so do all of those things: hard work, be lucky, don't be an asshole. Be great. Don't be an asshole. And yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you so much again, Doug. Yes, that's and right. um, um, I check. I like that. I just, what was it? I just saw something where they were saying where the woman did the handshake and, and how unusual that is. But anyway. Fistball? I go fistball? So, so um, you have to be careful with me to do Yeah, I know. Like, I, I know. So we'll be back next next Wednesday and uh, Louise and I will be in Henry Jadlam's home. And Henry's a filmmaker that's been around forever. He edited Easy Rider, which is crazy. He was on Gidget, which is bizarre. They're one of the great midnight movies of all time. Oh, which? Uh, 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 no. Henry Jack, my Jade. Um, a safe place. What? What? No, no, no. Uh, okay, well, I don't know which one you're. Look at so, so Henry also had lunch with Orson Welles every day and has a book out called My Lunches with Orson. Mm -hmm. He made Orson Welles' last film, 
Uh, he discovered David Duchovny, uh, early Jack Nicholson, Tuesday Weld, Karen Black. I mean, he is a colorful creature, and he directed me. He's gonna have better stories than me. He, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you have great stories. Anyway, thank you all for being here. We'll see you next Wednesday on the road taken.